0: It's episode 8 of this sick eSports podcast, a weekly podcast
1: about the business of eSports and the eSports business. This week, June 2nd, we talk about the ongoing player walkout in the LCS. Then we talk about the
0: economics of co-streaming as gals and other top streamers leak details of their pay.
1: And we wrap things up with the biggest gaming news of the year, a breakout new product from Microsoft. Microsoft.
0: I'm Thomas TJ James, joined by Matthew Covey Samuelson, and all that hot news is after this.
1: I gotta make sure people stick around to the end, TJ. The title just, of this
0: podcast is going to be LCS players walk out season well delayed.
1: Let's give ourselves a warm up topic.
0: Right, cuz we got to nail that one, so you got to kind of get in the groove. Do you want to oh, yeah. do want to do the long overdue April recap? Uh which is we just have the ES charts for April and like 2 weeks ago I was like let's do that next
1: week and then we didn't record next week. And I mean, I feel like we almost have the May ones now. We do, so we better get the April ones out of the way. All right. Most popular tournaments of April 2023. Oh uh, Hey, TJ, what is MPL again? Oh,
0: word. Uh, that's the Mobile Pro League Indonesia Season 11 for the game Mobile Legends Bang Bang. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this game, but it's this kind of League of Legends-like game that's played on mm. the phone uh, mm-hmm. And it is massively popular in Southeast Asia. And yet again, this is just their normal league is outperforming everyone.
1: Yeah, uh, it's going to outperform LCK Spring Finals, which is second uh, with 1.4 million viewers for Gen.G versus T1 as Gen.G found the surprise 3-1 there. And then we have a massive drop-off as next was the Spring Finals for LEC. Uh, 572 thousand viewers that watched BDS versus Mad Lions, and then we have IAM Rio 2023. Uh, just below that, just below that is VCT 2023 America's League Loud versus Sentinels, which I believe was a regular season match. So the fact that a regular season match for Valorant's up there with a couple finals for League and regular season Mobile Bang Bang is yeah, uh, but. Man, do you not want to look at where the viewership, what channels the viewership
0: was on for that? <laughs> Man, do they not want you to look any closer at that VCT number? Wow. Uh, if you scroll down, uh, esports charts, as always, shout out to esports charts for providing some of their data publicly. They provide very good analysis of who's winning in the current esports viewership market. If you go all the way down to the very last chart on this eSports Charts page, which will be in the show notes, um, there is a breakdown by eSports Channel. And you will see that, actually, Valorant is not up there. Yeah.
1: I, I, it's, it's MIA.
0: Um, and what that means is that Valorant's viewership is entirely split between different co-streams. It's not on the main broadcast. Um, the the Call of Duty co-stream by Skump, which we'll talk to about in a moment. See how I plan this out? Oh! The Call of Duty you. co-stream by Skump kind of climbs into fifth place there with 130,000 viewers. ESL Counter-Strike's main feed. Uh, this was for Rio. This is not the major. This is Rio. I'm a little bit higher on that list than Skump. Uh, and Gals, who is the biggest Brazilian Counter-Strike streamer got to co-stream ESL Rio, and so he is at the very top of the list in second place with the two League of Legends League uh,
1: flanking him. Is it really just League of Legends where co-streams are not the most single most popular stream to watch? Um, I
0: saw some information about that, but basically that's shifting as well. The The numbers on League of Legends co-streaming um are are significantly growing. Um, I do think it's a different I'm trying to I'm trying to find that article. I do think it's a different story because Call of Duty and Valorant are both losing to their co streamers in a very real way. Right. Um the difference with the Counter Strike thing is they do not have a Brazilian oriented broadcast. They do not have a broadcast in Portuguese for a Brazilian audience. So what they do instead is Gauss pays them for exclusive access to that content. And he pays to be the exclusive Portuguese broadcast in Brazil. So that is much less of a co-stream. That is kind of just a broadcast partner. right? (laughs) That is kind of just ESPN rebroadcasting. That is not the same as um, what is happening in valorant or league of legends increasingly or call of duty where the studio is either paying or giving a great deal to streamers in order to salvage some viewership
1: i i'm doing there's another um article that is kind of focusing on gals i don't don't know if you want to start with him uh as we get into really what it what is an evolving market for co-streams i think which is a really interesting part of Uh, really interesting part of what's going on right now, I think, in the space.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, Gauze is almost... Gauze has the production value. He is essentially a broadcast partner because he's paying for the fees, right? So he is in a different category to me. He is much more equivalent to a television studio buying the rights, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of the other co-streams are... Fake viewers, essentially, if that makes sense, because they are mm-hmm. not your viewers; they are the streamers' viewers, and the brand they are associating with is the streamers' brand. And so, I think that's I think that's a very scary thing for an esports league. Um, yeah. cured the numbers on MSI, the big League of Legends uh, final, the big League of Legends mid-season final. Thirty um, percent of their viewership came from
1: co-streams. Okay. And most of that would be Cedral.
0: And so that yeah. is that is a problem. Like, the Counter-Strike broadcast has Gals uh, pulling a ton of the Portuguese viewership, but again, they don't have a Portuguese product. So they're getting paid by Gals, Gals is running a Portuguese product, he's earning more money. It's literally just how broadcast partnerships work in television, right? A local partner bought the license, is making money by running ads against it locally. Yeah. What's happening for League of Legends is that Cadrel is not buying the license, he is being given the license for free same for Tarek. and in exchange for showing some of the same ads they just get the viewership for free um and i think that is very different and very scary if you are um if you are riot games or in the call of duty league's case ready to transition yeah in the call of duty league's case i think it's even scarier because they yeah. aren't just giving away their broadcast product for free. They are paying scump. And Nick Merckx. So this was a Dextero report um, where Nick Merckx, uh, one of the bigger streamers in the world, he, he does a ton of Call of Duty content back in the day, and now he's, mm-hmm. I think, primarily a Fortnite guy is what he's been known for in the last couple of years. Um, and he spoke publicly on his stream and said that uh, Call of Duty Activision pay him to host the stream Um, and that to me strongly implies that the same is happening for Skump they are paying for streamers to rebroadcast
1: their championship it makes so much sense your CSGO to be like oh you want to pay us to do your own broadcast in a language that's not our own Hell yeah. Like, this seems like a win-win for both of us. And meanwhile, like, Riot's sitting here like, we're going to give it away for free. And then Activision Blizzard's like, we're going to pay people. <laughs> that's just... That, that, that's that's hilarious sentiment from the, from the three devs.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really is a spectrum from Counter-Strike has a healthy ecosystem that has grown organically. ESL is running an event and earning a profit. Yeah. And then they are passing, they are they are passing on the knock-on effect of running that event and earning a profit by selling the broadcast rights of that event, and earning money there, and their broadcast partners are earning money. Like everyone in the chain is having a good time. Yeah. Uh, and then you have Riot, where things are starting to look shaky, and we will get more into that. I promise we'll address the title of the podcast. Uh, but we will get more into that but things are starting to look shaky and it feels like their implementation of co-streaming is a little bit short-sighted we've talked about that on the broadcast before yeah and at the very least
1: hurts their brand value that's another thing like riot has lists of a pr- like approved co-streamers and i'm sure that there are requirements for their like, those co-streamers and what they can and cannot do or say.
0: Yeah, I, but I, you probably know them too. I, I know a couple of people who
1: got removed from co-streaming. Yeah. It would be so much easier for Riot if they just sort of like, all right, you have to pay us for this. Because then, like, that's one way that you can just easily control who and who doesn't work for you, because then you have ultimate jurisdiction, because it's just, do they, you want to take their money or not? Well, and, I'll tell you why they
0: don't do that. His name is Ibai. Are you familiar with this guy? Yeah, I I know Ibai. Yeah, um, and he is the biggest Spanish language streamer. Period. And an owner of team now. Spanish language streamers. Um, and he for a long time was a host for the Spanish rebroadcast of Riot's LEC product, their European Championship. And Correct me if I'm getting any facts wrong here. He kind of spun that out into his own popularity. Or had his own popularity, and that helped to build it. And there was a, there were a couple of years where he was co-streaming, and what emerged was that people vastly preferred to watch iBuy's co-stream to uh, the official Spanish language product. Yep. Um, and iBuy's co-stream is maybe a little, maybe a little brand unsafe, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit out there for Riot Games. Maybe a little bit hard to sell advertisement against. Maybe a little concerning to our broadcast partners. Um, and so if they let people buy streaming rights, iBuy would be the one with the biggest bank account to buy those rights. He would outbid any Spanish language broadcast partners. Because he yeah. will earn more money. He has a bigger viewership. He will earn more money than any of his the potential, like, studios.
1: That's true. Uh, I mean, that's where that's what CSGO did. And I was going through the Richard Lewis article about how he felt like... Um, like, Galza's presence at the Major was actually... He like, actively harmed... Uh, like, the experience of the tournament for the teams and players.
0: Yeah. Um, this is over on... What's his URL? richardlewis.com? Uh,
1: no, it's on, actually on Dextero. Oh, so. wow. Well. Yeah, uh, but it, it was the uh, Rio Major in twenty twenty two, right? And he
0: is talking about the experience of being there as a broadcaster as part of a sporting event for the English language experience, um, and that event being kind of the backdrop to Gals' personal stream. Mm-hmm. Um and how that meant that a lot of the audience was maybe there for Gauls' personal stream and not there for the English language talent. Um and that a lot of the viewership online and in person was skewed around that influence.
1: Yeah. Uh it also like goes to say that like Gals was very biased towards Brazilians, like starting a Furia chant when like Furia like wasn't even in the game in arguing that this took away from the experience of the fans and players. Which I will Um, say.
0: I do think Richard
1: Lewis is a whiny little baby.
0: Um, And you can quote me on that. Okay. But he does... That's not saying there's no validity to his point. Right.
1: This article was good. I I mean, I usually like what he writes, but this was a good article.
0: I don't think he doesn't have a point, which is that there is a distinct difference in... The two broadcast products and that's not a problem if gals is the off-site co-stream but if he is the primary way that the on-site audience is experiencing the broadcast product then he is going to set the tone for the on-site audience right and Mm -hmm. and the feeling in the arena is going to be based around a different energy than the rest of the world is receiving from the product and that's weird and feels bad, but I think that's mostly a logistics problem. And I think, like, you just, I don't know, it, you're in Brazil, what do you expect, you know? If, if there was a Brazilian broadcast team that wasn't biased towards Brazil and was broadcasting it neutrally, it would be weird. The fact that so many of our broadcast products in English are
1: so, like, weirdly global is weird. That's not normally how it works. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really interested to see like where co-streaming goes, and if any of the devs kind of change their approach. Cause at the moment, like, it's the three major devs in esports have three different approaches to this, and I think we're seeing pros and cons for everything. I, I personally I think that CS has the best where you're getting paid. Because, yeah. yeah, maybe Abaya offers the most money, but you still have the right to say no. Yeah. Now, that's not going to happen a lot in esports, and money does talk. but um, um
0: gals Said on a stream he paid millions of dollars for the rights to the tournament. That, of course, went to the tournament organizer ESL. And I will note, Valve Software is involved nowhere in the chain. They approve ESL to hold the event. They give ESL the license. That's, That's technically in there, but my understanding is it's pretty easy to get those licenses if you're a real company. So they approve ESL to run the event. ESL run the event. They sell the rights. They sell tickets. They make money. There's nowhere in that chain where Valve gets a cut. And like you say, that is very different from uh, 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 League of Legends, where if you run a tournament of substantial size outside of the official Riot tournament, you have to pay Riot a significant amount. um, And Call of Duty, where nobody can run a tournament outside of the official Call of Duty League.
1: Yeah. All right. We got a good article from The Verge always covering... I the saw most... this. I was like, this is relevant to gamers. It's the most forefront news when it comes to technology and what's going on, what's important I mean, in the world really, of gaming. I mean,
0: really, this is going to change the state of esports, the state of gaming. Microsoft kind of coming out swinging, wouldn't you say? Si?
1: Yes. Uh, I, I cannot believe the the innovation that we're seeing from Microsoft. Maybe... It's from the AI they have now with yeah, Bing. the next generation stuff. And I think that's how they might have figured this out, because it's just too popular to pass when up.
0: When you see stuff like this, it makes you really appreciate that there are all those uh, competition and markets authorities kind of blocking their acquisition of Activision, because stuff like this really proves that Microsoft is, you know, a dominant player in gaming, that they that they understand the needs of the market better than any other, and they they possibly have kind of a chokehold on the market. Um. This is the kind of stuff that really makes you really makes you realize just how powerful Microsoft is as a gaming company.
1: It is ridiculous how innovative they are with one of the products that is core to their business values and fundamentals. Yeah, I mean it's one of those things that like I think every gamer has has used
0: this product right every gamer has had an experience with it that maybe is not optimal and because they're now hitting it with this update because they're now, I think, really reinventing it. Um, the experience is going to change for literally hundreds of millions of gamers worldwide. Two years in the making. Two years in the making because you have to get this kind of stuff right. They, they didn't just launch it. They tested it. They uh, spent spent a lot of time in QI, QA. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And, and, you know, frankly, when, when you're talking about Activision Blizzard, you're talking about um, the Overwatch League and all that stuff. This is the kind of stuff that demonstrates companies can get big updates right. This is the kind of stuff that demonstrates the kind of big corporation making products for gamers doesn't have to be this kind of corporate hodgepodge of focus testing. It can be a passion project, too. It can be kind of an expression of artistic intent. Um, And that's really cool to see.
1: All right. Are you cutting the bit? Yeah, what is it? I mean, I, I I got I got nothing else. What is it? I win.
0: Microsoft Paint finally gets a dark mode on Windows oh. 11, baby. Let's go.
1: That's the story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, my eyeballs are saved. No longer will you be
0: looking at microsoft paint at 1am while you're trying to do something in microsoft paint and you're like damn this is so white and bright now it can be dark it can be easy on your eyes and yes it does say in this article that this took two years for them to push as an update
1: well you know they also have customizable zoom now oh that's true big time Um, microsoft Microsoft paint it's, it's in, so back.
0: Yeah, they also go into this. Um, for a while, there was something called Paint 3D. You might have seen on your computer. Oh yeah, yeah, I have that. Uh, that was all over the place. They're really trying to push it. Vibes were off. Wasn't a good product. That stuff is out. Modernized Windows Paint is back. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm in. You know what? I might just we we might have to do some like cover art for this episode that involves. Paint. Oh my God. I'm gonna get. This is true.
0: Matt Daniel does the um episode covers. I'm going to make him redraw it in MS Paint for this episode. Huge. Love that. And nobody's going to know why until 20 minutes into the podcast. Boom. Um you know, this comes amidst a lot of major uh product updates in the gaming landscape uh, simultaneous to this. Activision Blizzard announced that they will not be adding their co-op mode to Overwatch 2. Um, which is significant because the co-op mode is what they sold Overwatch 2 as. Um, so that game really seems like it's struggling, but Microsoft's got our back. Is it back? What?
1: Microsoft it's Paint back. is back? It's it's so back. It's a dark no, dark mode now, baby. It's back. Okay, Cubby. Do you want to talk about a less important story now? Uh, TJ, we're in unprecedented times in esports as uh, League of Legends players for the LCS have voted to walk out and Riot has delayed the split two weeks uh, while themselves, orgs, and the players try and sit down and figure out a solution. Yeah, this is Riot's premier
0: esports product. I don't think it is their biggest by a long shot anymore. uh, But it is the one that started it all. It is their North American League of Legends Pro League. And for a variety of reasons, you obviously work on this product. So I respect both that you have to be somewhat cautious what you say uh, and that you have much more information than I do. So uh, my understanding of the reasons for this are that they the riot games announced two players early in last season that there would be despite teams best efforts to get the promotional league kind of cancelled because it cost a lot of money building players in your double-a ball league is expensive um despite the teams kind of agitating for that double-a ball league that promotional league to get removed uh Riot was assuring players that that wouldn't happen, that the Promotional League would stay, that there would be various other assurances uh, to players' jobs and kind of standard of living. Yep. And only a couple of weeks, I believe three weeks before the season started, it was announced that in fact that Promotional League would be vanishing and there are various other compromises that Riot was making with team owners, which before we even get to the players walking out does speak to i think very shaky ground for the league i think if the teams are saying we cannot afford to run a promotional league um that is a very dire sign for a lot of these teams and the fact that riot is making moves to keep those teams alive is is cutting entire broadcast products that speaks quite poorly to the state of the teams they've got to be in dire straits
1: yeah i i mean i have a lot of thoughts here uh First off, yeah, that, that is how it started. So, this all started with the capitulation of the requirement for Challengers League. Uh, which, uh, under the franchise agreement, it is required that uh, franchise teams field a team in that league. Uh, they drop that requirement. Which, honestly, this is likely going to happen. It's just, my issue with it, which I've been pretty public about, is that the manner in which this took place was too fast to find a reasonable solution. And... I think what happened is that the players realized how little power they actually have because, again, they aren't unionized. And as with any esport, the game developer is the judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, whatever they want goes. And they're executing. Uh, and in this case, the owners had an emergency vote, and the league said yes to their asks. Uh, and a lot of the teams came out and talked about their spending on Challengers League. Uh, that's all fine and dandy. Uh, the player association said that the average operational cost of a challenger's team is about 16% on budget. And uh, to be fair, like from a business end, that is quite a bit to cut. Uh, my issue is that in League of Legends only a year or two or three ago, we had exorbitant spending on player salaries. Uh, TL was public about uh, the, the rumors that the roster was worth over 7 mil just last year. Uh, we had a contract signed by Sword Art, uh, who was a world finalist coming off of that, for six mil over two years. Yeah. Importing star Chinese and Korean players like Sword Art from
0: abroad, like they were spending.
1: Yeah. And now, uh, I think the biggest operational cost I saw for a Challengers team was C9, where they put it at about eight, 880000 to a million. That's over a year. And they ended up cutting their team. So that saves them, in theory, 500 k for the back half of the season. Uh, for me, when you have exorbitant spending like that from the teams, and then you're on a whim deciding to cut a bunch of jobs, that does seem like the fault of the org. And the players are the victim of that. I think that like you are on the money with assigning the blame.
0: I do think that you are wrong about, and Riot, to be fair, you're you're aligning with Riot, and I think Riot are making a mistake here, you're wrong about where the actual power in the league lies. Um, Because yes, it is with Riot Games, but uh, I don't think the teams have any leverage. Um, I think they're vastly over-leveraged. Because what are the teams? None of them have any brand value. Like... The team that had the most actual fans in League of Legends is TSM, and they've really blown that. They, they basically closed shop earlier this month. Yeah, it's probably C9 now. Um, it has been C9,
1: actually, for a little bit.
0: Right, so, but like, even Cloud9 doesn't sell tickets. They aren't making significant profit on their merchandise. Their only asset, the only thing that Cloud9 has of value is their players. And in traditional sports, it's not that way, because the team's operate franchises and that means something they have institutional fan bases they have stadiums Uh they have brands that they upkeep these league of legends teams these esports teams more broadly have spent years not doing that and like you say they had plenty of money and and i do think it is a difficult problem to solve to build a real digital brand to build a real digital sports franchise i think that's hard but we have seen people do it abroad we have seen Massively popular digital franchises in many countries around the world, in many regions around the world, and not in League of Legends in North America. And so they are not providing value to the league, in my estimation. I think that Riot Games is negotiating with the wrong people. And they should. Okay. Because if Riot Games doesn't make these concessions, what happens over the next year, what might still happen over the next two years. Is that these teams go out of business and if Riot Games decides to buy up all those franchise slots and unfranchise the league they still have a broadcast product that does exactly the same thing it did before for them provides the same level of engagement probably provides more engagement because it would allow them to institute a lot of changes that the community is asking for like a promotion and relegation system And the players still have what they want, which is they still have an opportunity to get paid playing League of Legends. And the only person that's missing for the equation is the currently existent teams that aren't actually adding any value. They're just kind of in the chain because someone decided they should be because it feels like traditional sports. But I do, do not believe that any of these League of Legends esports organizations have any leverage here. And I think that Riot Games is really screwing up by negotiating with with the wrong person. You can tell this because when the players without a union, like you said, there's there's been a lot of misreporting that this is a strike. This is not a federally recognized strike. This is a, a walkout, walkout, yeah, which is protected in the state of California, but it is different. They do not have the same protections. But they are walking out, which is not enforceable to all of their membership which means that there are scabs, 100% who would be willing to play. And they did not even threaten a sustained walkout. They said they would walk out for one day at the start of the split.
1: I, I will say, um, Riot is also at fault for how like the scabs came to be. And this is why delaying the split was important, because under the rules for Riot, if a franchise did not feel the team, They would face a 50K fine and would be at risk to lose their franchise slot. So if you're a GM and your players are walking out and that's the punishment that you're facing, you really are forced. Like, you can't lose the franchise slot for everyone in the building and for your business. Like, that's just too much value going down the hole. So, like, Riot did kind of force the hand of the orcs to, like... I mean, it was really ugly in there, right? Where, like, I I, I had players and, like, even staff members reach out to me like, hey, I got reached out to. Like, what do I do, right? Um, and that that was pretty wild, the fact that Riot, like, really pit the orgs and players up against each other like that before we now are, like, at a point where it seems like things have cooled off and both parties are willingly at the table. But, like, this, this is my point.
0: Is that even with all of those things stacked against the players, the players have the power still. You're the right. players forced riot to the negotiating table. The players forced riot to push back their league by an entire week, which, yeah. as you say, is unprecedented. And yes, riot is banging their stick on the table. They they first of all tried to they they pulled away regulations that would have uh, prevented teams from being able to field players. They said that. Uh, teams could field players of any rank in game, as opposed to only being allowed to play high-ranked players, which yeah. made it easier for them to collect scab teams. Um, they uh, threatened to push back the or cancel the entire season, which would, in their words, have meant that the region wasn't eligible for international play. And both of these are blatant plays for the for the public. It's it's. I mean, this uh, is how labor yeah. disputes work. Both of these yeah. are. Your players are making it so that we can't compete internationally. You want to see America... And they lost. And they lost.
1: The PR I, game
0: went very quickly against Riot and the teams.
1: I mean, I it's been against them the entire time. And that's the one area I'll give the PA a lot of credit is that they've done a good job at getting public perception on their side. Now, I will say that with the list of the PA's first asks, most of those weren't very realistic. Like, asking... In, in the ask, asking for to bring back promotion relegation and to remove franchising, like that's probably not gonna like that exists for public pressure and it exists for riot to say no to, and then for the PA to go back and be like, "Oh, riots being unreasonable towards us, right?" That's not gonna happen.
0: I mean, you know what else is unreasonable? Saying that what?
1: you're gonna cancel the entire season of your league that you have yeah. hundreds of employees working
0: on, like that's also not gonna happen.
1: So you know, yeah. it's a labor dispute. I mean, it is, uh, and I, I'm really curious where things. Go at the table. Now, my fear, as someone who you said I'm involved with the league, um, I got to cast one day of LCS last year. Woo! er, Or last split. And And you you do cast the Challengers
0: League. You are one of the primary broadcasters on the Challengers League, the one that is in so much dispute. It would continue to exist. You would continue to have a job. Uh, most well, of the players would continue to play in it, but they wouldn't be on franchise teams. Is my understanding? Well, is that
1: correct? Yeah. So the league last split the league was 16 teams. So we had the 10 franchise teams and six provisional teams. Six provisional teams competed uh, competed in that league, but were also up for promotion relegation. Uh, now seven of the franchise teams have dropped. Uh, we have 10 teams in the league. As uh, disguised toast now is running a team in the league, uh, they just gave him the slot, and uh, I I think that all teams will be up for promotion relegation now. Uh, so the bottom two go to play that tournament at the end of the year. Uh, so a, a franchise or could lose their slot in that league. The damage for me has already been done, and my greatest fear for this is that the players realize that because Challengers League was cut, that they don't have any power. And then no changes or concessions are made back for Challengers League and the pros just walk away with like one or two guarantees for themselves. And for me, that would be a disappointment. I I really, if this started with Challengers League, I I really want to see the players push to protect Challengers League because 26 out of the 50 starting pros and at the start of the LCS split, if all the rumored rosters are true, at some point, or another would have competed in Academy or Challengers. And I, I still think that that system was very important for the ecosystem of the space. I think that now teams used it poorly. Like this past split, TSM literally did not have a coach. That's bullshit. Like, I don't want that team in the league. That's not a team that is supporting players. There are provisional teams where players were public about after rent. They had 450 bucks a month to spend. On food and everything else. Those teams that had no money gave their players more support with staff than TSM did, paying required Academy minimums, which were California State minimums, uh, for full-time wages. So like, I don't I don't want a team like that in the league. Like that's bad for the league. I, I think that the removal of the requirement's fine, but I think how it was handled because it was made so quickly, I didn't give teams options to be like. They moved the server location for this league to Chicago, so teams and like teams could have moved their teams over to Chicago to get better ping and like have that cut costs. Um, yeah,
0: Chicago, right now they're all playing
1: in L.A. Chicago, obviously yeah. much cheaper. Uh, so, like because this happened so fast, they kind of stuffed it under the news cycle for MSI that was going on. Uh, it, I think that teams weren't able to make very educated decisions on like how to actually support this, and pretty much every message that teams put out was like. Here's how much we spend on uh, developing talent. We're going to cut our team. We're going to have initiatives that help develop talent moving forward. And then no team wasted anything. And that was it. How many of these teams have spent the last five years, you know, signing high-profile
0: international players who are David Beckhams of League of Legends, bringing in the biggest names yeah. they can, who are obviously not going to perform the same way in North America, either because they're past the apex of their career or because... They're simply not with the team that made them great. Um, or or the splashy-like infrastructure they've been building. How many of these teams have been given million-dollar office tours and check out our brand-new gaming facility? And, you know, the money the, the
1: has been there, and it hasn't been spent wisely. I mean, at least that's an asset. It's not as bad as, like, throwing money into the salary hole, where that market is entirely controlled by themselves and with vc money they literally just had a measuring contest and like how big of a facility they could buy how much money they could spend on top pros and then look where it's gotten us now like nothing they did was sustainable They, they made no efforts to actually make revenue for themselves some companies did and this is my point yeah riot is riot is really screwing up by negotiating with the wrong
0: people Because if you want to build a sustainable league, if you want to build a sustainable ecosystem for your esport, for your game, make sure the players have guarantees. What does it matter if the teams are, are, are getting enough to keep their name in the league and keep running some facility in LA with a single coach or whatever, like... It is obvious that the value of the pro league, the value of the LCS comes from the people on stage. It does not come from the names on their jerseys. And in a different world, that is different. That is not a statement that is true about many sports leagues around the world. The NBA, a good percentage of the value comes from the names on the jerseys and the players that wear them. Right? Yeah. And it's it's a weird split. In the LCS, it is evident, it is obvious The the teams just don't provide value to that ecosystem, just aren't a a significant part of what makes that league work. And I think the LCS is, you know, you talk about like having your venture capital blinders on. I think they're a little blinded by their desire to feel like the NBA, to feel like real sports. But in actuality, if you look at the track record of these partners, if you look at the track record of your Team Liquids, your TSMs, they're not the kind of partners that are adding value to your product.
1: Yeah. Uh I'm I'm really interested to see where things go. I I really am. I, I don't know. Yeah, do you want
0: to we can cut this. Um earlier we were talking and you said that kind of off microphone. I was like, "Oh, what about what about those kind of talks of a walkout?" And you said, "There's no way the players walk out." Very confidently to me. Yeah. Do, you, do you want to talk about what changed? Dude, are you comfortable having that egg on your path?
1: Uh, yeah. I think. I mean, I think what changed is that like the PA just started making waves. Players saw that they don't have any power. That things like right now, there's an LCS minimum salary guaranteed. It's actually not, I don't believe it's the same as the Challengers minimum because the Challengers minimum is based on the California state minimum wage uh, for full time salaries. I think the LCS one's higher. Now, given that there isn't a union, so how things usually work in sports is that there's a player union, and then there's the league, and there's a collective bargaining agreement between the two. So both come to the table, they both sign a giant piece of paper, and whatever they sign in that is what works for players and owners. And each party has to abide by that. And it's up for refresh every few years, right? So the NBA one, like they just signed that players could actually advertise for sports betting companies which is unheard of given given that they're going to play in those games that's that's never happened before but the league trusts the players and the players can get a lot of money from that obviously is that's like the exact target demographic to advertise that people that bet on sports so uh, that's an example of you know where a cba could be beneficial for both parties if done well because there's no union for the players The players have no power, and from what I heard behind the scenes is that this was the piece of action that made the players realize that they truly didn't have any power, and then they came together, and I I think that a couple of the more mature and experienced players felt a little bit more strongly about this this time around, which is really important in this space because some of the kids that are on Challengers teams or even on LCS teams are literally kids. I mean, they, they might be 17, 18, 19 years old. They might not have a lot of knowledge about this. And if they see someone they trust and respect that feels strongly about this, then they're more likely to follow the leader. And so I, I think that a few of the ringleaders in the PA felt really strongly about this and kind of got their teams on board to follow. And pretty much everyone got on board.
0: I will also say, I'd be curious for your thoughts on this, I have noticed that my generation of esports players um, has been like a little smarter throughout the last couple of years as i've been seeing people my age and younger come up into esports ecosystems they've been much more aware of how labor works much more aware of what teams can and cannot provide them Mm -hmm. um i was just recently talking to a player in an unnamed game who rejected a a pretty good deal from a major esports institution Um, not because it wasn't a solid deal for the size of the game he's playing in, but because he said, well, either the game gets significantly bigger, in which case I'll have signed a terrible deal this early on in the game's lifespan, Mm -hmm. um, or the game gets significantly smaller, in which case I'll have, you know, wasted a lot of my time working for this company in a a game that's not going to succeed, so it just doesn't make sense. And that struck me as the kind of thing that just wouldn't have happened in esports five years ago. So I'm wondering if maybe, and, I, and I've seen some advocacy from the youngest players on these LCS rosters, um, maybe that has that generational shift
1: has impacted the organizing as well. Potentially. Uh, I mean, I, I'm happy for the players that's the case. I think over the years, there's a lot of learning. And if you've done your research, then you can try and learn and figure some stuff out. So uh, that that makes me happy to hear if players are looking out for themselves. Well, uh,
0: that sure is the biggest drama in esports, possibly the biggest drama in esports this year. I think the consequences for the way esports works will be enormous. But if the players win here, if the players get even 50% of their demands, I think that will reshape what players across esports games are willing to do. Um, very important, very high stakes. Uh, it's a good, it's a good month for high stakes union negotiations in LA. I guess. Yeah. Uh, we will, we will see how that shakes out. Um, let's wrap yeah. it up with our favorite corner.
1: Ooh,
0: the Activision Blizzard corner. Do you want to? Do you really want to talk about item number one here? I kind of want to sk-
1: want to skip to item number six. I I don't care about item number one that much. Uh, yeah, same. Pretty much, Cod League. They're designing. Custom skins and cosmetics uh with the teams, and they're also consulting players on making maps, which is cool. I, I'm I am a fan of that.
0: Uh um, now let's talk about Jacob Wolf. What's our favorite little gremlin been getting up to?
1: Well, he's uh covering another gremlin, uh, which would be uh Bobby Kotick. the I guess twenty plus year tenure as CEO of Activision Blizzard. Uh, was Bobby Kodak. And yeah. uh, apparently, there was an article that went easy on him in Variety Magazine. And Jacob Wolf said, Wait a minute, this guy sucks. And wrote an article talking about how this guy sucks. Yeah,
0: Jacob Wolf, formerly of ESPN, now of Upcomer.com, his own media venture, and uh, JacobWolf.report, his own blog, which is where this piece uh, ran. Um, yeah, and, and I think this is, this is, first of all, a really fun article, because it's like from my favorite genre of articles, which is articles about articles. Anytime you can find an article about an article, you're thriving. You're in for some good stuff. Um, Interesting. and this is about, like you say, the Variety magazine profile of Bobby Kodak, who, uh, among other things, oversaw the sexual harassment allegations that were verified by multiple different state regulators at Activision sy- Blizzard... Sy-
1: systematic, by the way. It was bad. Yes. It was really bad.
0: Really bad. Um, the, like, collapse of Activision Blizzard's IP business, the the kind of devolution of it into a Call of Duty studio. Um, he also oversaw the, the failure of the Overwatch League and the Call of Duty League. Like, he has been a very controversial figure over the last couple of years. And he got a fairly glowing profile um, in Variety magazine. So I I thought this was interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's whatever is going on at Activision. Like, you do not do this kind of thing. You do not give this kind of access to Variety magazine unless you feel like you need some good press. Mm -hmm. Um, So whatever is going on at Activision Blizzard continues to go on at
1: Activision Blizzard, is what I would say there. They need to make sure that, you know, their merger with Microsoft doesn't get torpedoed by antitrust laws. So they need some good press so everyone can, you know, forget that the bad stuff happened. Maybe just make it go away. Have you been following their statements on that? I I assume they're just refuting everything that comes out that's against them.
0: Well, it's really weird because, like, Microsoft, when, when the Competition and Markets Authority ruled against them in the UK... Have they put out a statement that was like, you know, we believe that this ruling is incorrect and we will continue to appeal it? You know, very bog-standard company stuff. Activision Blizzard put out a statement that was like, this is idiotic. They're insane. They're stupid. It was like, these are really weird. It was like a longer. It was an esports dunzo manifesto. Um, oh, man. It was,
1: it was very weird and unprofessional. Sorry, continue. Uh, I, personally, I mean... I, I the last Jacob Wolf article I read, he was complaining that someone wouldn't invest in his company because it was esports, and that was it. And he was like, "Here's all I've done." And th- this was a refresher for me because he's complaining, but it's actually about someone who kind of is a piece of crap. So yeah. it's nice. Ja- Jacob Wolf is fun when he's pointed at the right target. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not an uh, unnamed VC that said no
0: yeah and the the other half of this is that the other half of this is that there's like a very consistent practice here that activision Blizzard, to be fair bobby kodak has really used over the course of his career which is not talking to people in the esports press and instead talking to people in the mainstream press who don't really understand what's happening um this is how they sold the overwatch league right If you remember the launch of the Overwatch League, where all of the mainstream press were like, the future of sports is here. We talked to Bobby Kotick, and he's reinventing the NFL. And everyone in esports, everyone who actually knew what they were talking about, was going, this is insane. There's no way this will work. And that was
1: the title of many press reports from the time. But Um, Kotick was probably like, hey, if you invest in the league, you know, we'll get us in Business Insider, get us in Forbes, get you guys some good press make the bad stuff go away. Maybe there's a running theme here.
0: Yeah, well, Well, the running theme to me is that it's very easy if you are a esports company to get a glowing profile about how you're the future of sports, how you're going to be the ESPN of the future um, in any major, like, magazine publication. Um, how many times has Wired, for instance, run that story? Like, it's been, like, four times over the years that Wired has run this story about the future of sports and how esports is going to be the next big thing. Um, and, like, we even, I think, saw this with the New York Times story recently. New York Times ran a story that was, like, esports in North America is, is on shaky foundations or something. That was about, kind of, the esports winter and the esports collapse. But their sources for it, the reporting for it, was all of the VC-backed teams. And all the VC-backed teams told the New York Times that, you know, unfortunately, esports is just unsustainable. There's just no way for the industry to be profitable when anyone who's in the industry, and troves of good reporting over the years, uh, will tell you that, in fact, those very teams acted unsustainably and that there is viewership in the industry and it is sustainable in other countries. So there's a very consistent pattern where American esports companies specifically are able to take advantage of a weak esports press, a overconfident in their coverage ability, perhaps kind of tech press or games press. Mm-hmm. And um, there's very little interaction, it feels like, between the esports press and the games press and the tech press more broadly.
1: I, I still like it's funny because, like, this actually does relate to Jacob Wolf's last article where he was just mad at the person that didn't invest in him because it's esports. The, the issue is that esports, like, when it is sold, it's always sold as like this big sexy new thing, and it really isn't. It's just a different take on entertainment. Yeah, and I, I don't. It's not ever going to be as big as the NFL. That that's impossible. Nothing will ever be as big as the NFL in America. It might be as big as Real Housewives. Love me some Real Housewives.
0: Yeah, Andy Cohen. No, I mean, I mean seriously. Um, esports in Korea, which is I think the country where it's China eh, China's probably more successful, but Korea's the country where it's most sustainable. Um esports in korea was born out of the financial crisis and kind of the birth of reality television yeah and in korea instead of just airing reality television they aired some some early
1: gaming competitions on tv it's probably um, way better for the the culture you know because real housewives while well, it's fun you know i don't i don't need that it's that's that's, only, tra- that's if trash if only TV. heroes
0: of the dorm on espn3 had succeeded culture would be better
1: <laughs> yes yes We can root for kids competing for scholarships, other than rooting for you know people cheating on one another and.
0: Oh my God! Did you see the
1: last season of Vanderpump Rules? I it's been all over my Twitter feed. It seems wild. Yeah, I didn't see it. But speaking of Andy Cohen, he is just the master apparently. Yeah, we need to get Andy Cohen in here. That's what needs to happen for esports. Andy Cohen will save esports. Invest in him.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is the that is the breakdown, is that there is it is very easy for people in North American business culture to sell esports as something new and revolutionary. I don't know if I agree with you that esports will never be as big as the NFL. I think that you know, two decades from now, who's who's to say, you know? I think it is clear that the idea of competitive video gaming is not fun it is an evolution, not a revolution. It is hey, we're making an entertainment product that young people will watch, and we're going to put ads on that entertainment product. And there's a lot of focus that seems to miss that. And this is what I'm talking about when I was talking about the team's not really providing value. If if the value in the ecosystem comes from people watching the entertainment product, then the value is the players, and it is the broadcast. (laughs) And the... The teams don't enter that picture unless they insert themselves into being viewership drivers, which none of the teams are. And um, look, so that's like an example of how the ecosystem just gets twisted up by these weird analogies and this like backwards desire to be the NFL as opposed to to be a successful product.
1: And look at what we had just yesterday. There was no LCS, so Disguised Toast put debuted his new roster and went up against Delta Fox, team of streamers. Uh, from way back in the like OG League days, and everyone was thrilled about that. Loved that. It's really not teams getting involved; it's just content creators and people, and it was yeah. fun.
0: And that was a real indictment for me, because uh, we don't have the viewership numbers for that entire stream, but I but I glanced at them on like less accurate, um, forecasting sites. And my God, did that stream, which was. One streamer putting his amateur team up against a group of washed-up pros turned streamers outperformed the LCS. My god, was the viewership real good on that stream. And I would argue that it is just because that stream was a better entertainment product. And I think that this isn't a problem unique to the LCS. This is a problem that is currently afflicting the VCT, which is why all of its viewership is in co-streams. Um, it is currently afflicting the Overwatch League. The uh, step number one is to make a good entertainment product, because that is the business. And if you want to start a an esports team, your number one priority should be figuring out how you contribute to driving viewership, and how you contribute to building people that, a, a group of fans that will tune in when you sell ads. And no team is prioritizing that. Enough, and a lot of tournament organizers aren't prioritizing. Thanks, Jacob Wolf. Good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that about wrap us up? You got anything else?
1: Nope.
0: Anything going on in your life?
1: Uh, I got C law. Uh, yeah. so uh, we're gonna support the collegiate players definitely. You know, they they've got no reason to to walk out. We're gonna make sure they have a grand old time at the studio. I actually I like doing C law a lot because. Some of the guys are just like so happy to be there and they work their ass off to compete. It's fun.
0: Is that the LCS studio this
1: year? Uh, Yeah.
0: Wow. Used to be CLOL was um, via Big Ten and Riot didn't directly produce it. So that's interesting yeah. that Riot is directly producing it now.
1: It was that last year too. Last year it was eight teams, but this year it is four teams and they have C-Val as well. So there are three teams in for Valorant.
0: Oh. Uh, all right. Well cool for the Valorant collegiate teams cool for the collegiate ecosystem I'm gonna go
1: work on my job now yeah we're gonna go record that intro now woo you can't tell them that alright cut
0: it stop the press you can find new episodes each week at sakeesports.com as well as the podcast provider of your choice you can find Cubby at CoveyXX on Twitter. You need to get off Twitter, dude. It's just worse every week.
1: Uh, I've actually been mixing in some Reddit, so I really hate myself this week. What's wrong with you? Well, there's been a lot of news going on. I and was sometimes looking at those
0: Reddit threads, though, just like as an observer. And it, they are I, bad I mean, Reddit threads.
1: I wasn't getting involved, but you know, sometimes you got to go through the mines. Who's going to carry the boats, TJ? That's me. Uh, Me at eSportsTJ.com It's TJ at eSportsTJ.com
0: Be safe, be kind to yourself and get paid what you're worth especially if you're a member of the LCS Players Association